0: To the laundromat resource podcast the show by laundromat owners for laundromat owners with your host jordan
1: All right. What's up, guys? It's Jordan uh, for the Laundromat Resource Podcast. And I'm I'm pumped that you're here today. We have got an incredible show for you today. Um, and I'm going to tell you about that in a second. But this, this podcast is all for people who want to find financial freedom through laundromat ownership. And so if you're an owner right now of a laundromat or multiple laundromats, and you want to hear from other owners about how they got into the industry and about Uh, what they're doing with their businesses right now, what's working, what's not working. This is the spot to be for you. And if you're someone who's interested in getting into the laundromat industry, there is no better place for you than right here where we're going to be talking to laundromat owners uh, about how they got into the industry and and how they're running their businesses, Uh, some successfully and some less successfully. So you're going to hear all of that right here. So if you're looking for financial freedom through laundromat ownership, this is the place to be. And here on show number two, uh, we are talking to a man named Dave Menz. And he. uh, this episode is honestly, it's incredible. It's going to inspire you no matter where you're at in your journey. Dave, he brings it today. And This guy literally went from browsing around on Craigslist, finding a laundromat for sale on Craigslist and uh, buying it and building that up into a bit of a a laundromat empire out there in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he's going to tell you all about how we did that and and where he's going from here. And just all throughout this episode, he is just dropping value bombs left and right. You definitely are not going to want to miss it. But before we get into it, here's a quick message for you.
0: Buying and selling a business is a big step in your financial journey, and not all business brokers are created equal. By working with the best business brokers in your area, you'll make more money and save more time, propelling you towards your financial goals. As brokers, laundromat owners, and real estate investors ourselves, we at Laundromat Resource know what a knowledgeable and trustworthy broker looks like. That's why we offer a free to you service to help you find the best business broker in your area. We will weed out the bad and untrustworthy brokers and present you with the short list of the best two to three brokers in your area. You choose who to work with. There's no obligation and no contracts to sign with us. Why risk working with a bad broker and leaving money on the table? So if you're in the market to buy or sell a laundromat, go to laundromatresource.com slash buy or laundrymatresource.com slash sell today and let us help you find the best team to work with.
1: All right. Buckle up because we're bringing in Dave Mintz right now. All right. So we're here with Dave. Dave, how's it going, man? Good. How are you, Jordan? I'm doing well. It's a little uh, chilly here in California. It's like Fifty-five, and there's actually this water falling from the sky right now. It's kind of weird.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that's called Ohio
2: weather. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, uh, that's one of the reasons I don't live in Ohio then. So yeah, you handle it. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> well, hey, thanks for being on the podcast. I'm really excited. You have such a really cool story and I can't wait to hear uh, a little bit more about it. And so let's start with where are you? You're You're in Ohio, right? So tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, we currently live in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've,
2: I'm a transplant from Michigan, but we've lived in Cincinnati for well, probably over 30 years now. So I'm um, I'm as much in a, of an Ohioan as I am a Michigander, but I grew up in Michigan as a kid. So yeah, this is, Cincinnati's home for me. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> but your heart is is Michigan. Well, for the Wolverines, yeah, definitely. Okay. But I, I love the city of Cincinnati. It's a great place to grow up and raise a family.
1: I. I this is home. I wouldn't live anywhere else. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Hey, I'm super curious. I'm always curious about this. I get asked this question all the time. Uh, how did you get into the laundromat industry?
2: Um, well, dumb luck. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah. I, uh, I worked in corporate
2: America for 17 years at the local phone company here in Cincinnati. Uh, started out young as in an entry level position and worked my way through several different uh, departments. And learned a lot of different skills that I didn't realize I was learning along the way. Um, but since I've been a little kid, I've always, my heart's been on entrepreneurship. And so I was, throughout that whole career, I was always looking for different business opportunities. And sometimes opportunities would come up that I wasn't prepared for. Sometimes um, the opportunities weren't there and I was prepared. <laughs> uh, yeah. Eventually, those two paths kind of you know, crossed each other. And I found a local laundromat for sale um, in Amelia, Ohio, which is the community I grew up in. It's a suburb of Cincinnati. And I actually just found it on Craigslist. I was just stumbling around on Craigslist, looking at businesses for sale, which I had done hundreds of times. And uh, I knew exactly where the laundromat was. I knew nothing about the business, but it had been there forever. So I immediately just jumped in my car and went down and took a look at it. And It was, it was in very bad shape. This is in 2009. Um, you know, the economy wasn't very good and the place had been neglected for many, many years. And, you know, one thing led to another, I did my due diligence. I went through the entire process. Um, we didn't have a lot of money, but we had enough to kind of get going. And so we took out a, you know, a small SBA loan and put a lot of sweat equity into it. And, you know, we turned it around and it kind of, it kind of, uh, I got the infection. (laughs) (laughs) So I realized, I realized, you know, the one of my business isn't a sexy business, but it's mine. And I've always been very passionate about entrepreneurship. And uh, a big part of my passion of entrepreneurship is obviously supporting my family and making money. But as big of a part of it is really um, seeing and meeting a need within the community that's not being met. It's not about being that 30th pizza place on the corner. Um, it's It's about seeing a need in the community and meeting that need. And I get a lot of satisfaction and gratification out of out of that, and knowing that I don't just work for money, but I work for something that's equally as important to me is not more important than the money. And since I grew up here and I lived here, I knew that that place used to be booming. you know it used to be bustling, right. and it wasn't anymore, and it was kind of sad. As I went through my due diligence, I visited nine different laundromats within about, I don't know, fifteen or 20 miles of that store. Um, every laundromat that existed, every one of them were in bad shape, mm. and that's when I realized there's a need, and this is a tremendous business opportunity. Right. Yeah. And I, I knew that I was willing to put in the work. You know, I didn't have a ton of money. Um, I basically started with about twenty thousand dollars in the bank and a, a decent job. You know, we didn't have any debt, so we were low. I had good cash flow, and so we knew we could support it. And so I stayed at my full time job for the next five years while we grew grew our businesses and just reinvested all the money that the businesses made back into them to continue to scale them and grow them and and here we are ten
1: years later. <laughs> oh that's crazy. And it's it's just so funny that you just found it on Craigslist and you weren't even yeah. particularly looking for a laundromat. You were just looking at businesses oh, for sale. Absolutely. I never it never even occurred to me to look for a laundromat. I was literally
2: Craigslist back then had a category that says businesses for sale. Yeah. And you click on it and it's just landscaping companies and car washes. I mean, every business on planet Earth, the daycare center. Right. And for me, I've always been a passionate entrepreneur, but I didn't really care what the product was. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the, the business model um, or, or different business models. I kind of geek out over those things. Yeah. And uh, so as I dug in more and more, I realized that you know, there was an opportunity and there was a need. And it was, it was really perfect for me because I knew, you know, most likely whatever business I bought, I wouldn't be able to just quit my job the next week. And so that was one of the, it was unattended and that was one of the few business models that would allow me to kind of do both. And so I would get up at 5am run by the laundromat for an hour or so, uh, clean it up, sweep it up because it was open 24 hours and I would go into work, which was an hour away and I'd work all day, climbing telephone poles, working on the phone lines and stuff like that. And after I was all done with that, I would go back and stop back by on the way home. Um, and I pretty quickly put a video surveillance system in there. And so when it got closer to bedtime, I would pull it up, and if it looked busy or or whatever, then I'd run by there again before I went to bed. Yeah. And, you know, now now we have a completely different business model, but that's how we started, just simply out of necessity. We had no choice. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, those first five years that I was in business for myself, I kept my full time job. And I estimate between the two, because we grew and acquired other businesses or other laundromats. And, uh, during that five years, I, I, I estimate I worked ninety two hundred hours a week for five years straight. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it's kind of a fog now, but it's, I've always just been the type of person, <laughs> just, just give me the opportunity and I'll just get out of my way. Done. Yeah. That's, that's what I did. You know? And I, I, I mean, I'll be honest. Sometimes a lot of times on entrepreneurship, a lot of, a lot of people that aren't entrepreneurs like us, um, they don't really understand the drive, the motivation. So I, 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 you know, I took some critiques, and uh, you know, from family and friends and things like that. Uh, but I always knew what I was doing and why I was doing it, and I knew that I was on the right track and that I was going to make a difference in my community. And that was like I, I've always been pretty good at ignoring the noise.
1: <laughs> I love that. I mean, I think that's a. a like a crucial skill for uh, an entrepreneur or business owner. Is. There's so much negativity and even just pressure, you know, to not go in those directions and to not stick it out when it's tough. And why are you spending a hundred hours a week on this rundown laundromat? And it's probably not ever going to, you know, just all these messages come in time and time again. So I love to hear that you started like that same way I started. I was, I would drive an hour uh, to go clean up my laundromat every single day every night um, i 'd be there late at night a lot of times, and you know yeah. all all of that, so I love to hear that you started like that and I know that you scaled that way out, and your business looks very very different um, from that now and I want to hear all about how you scaled that, but before we do, can you tell us just a little more detail about how you actually got that uh, laundromat um, like how did you how did the purchase of it go, and what did Kind of that process looked like? How'd you get into your first one? Yeah, that's
2: a pretty pretty interesting story, actually, because I had never owned a business before, and I was in my early thirties, I guess. Um, you know me and my wife didn't have a lot of debt, we both had decent jobs, um, but we had a young family, and uh, you know we never owned a business, and you know I, I put together a business plan because I'd always read that's what you do, mm-hmm. and so I did my homework, did my due diligence, I put together the business plan. We felt we were personally in a good financial place. Um, we had a little bit of money to invest, but certainly not enough to cover the whole thing. And it, it probably took every bit of four or five months. And I bet I applied to easily 20 or more uh, financial institutions. And every single one of them told me the same thing. And they just said, you've never owned a business before. You got $20,000 in the bank. And you think you're going to take this business that isn't profitable because it was losing money. You know, I mean, it, it, who do you think you are is kind of the attitude that I got from them. Like, you know, if I was a veteran and more experienced, like I'm nowadays, I'd have a little bit different story to tell. But back then, I was just like stuck in this, like, it's like when they tell kids, you know, young kids, you should build credit when you start 18 years old. Well, how do I do that? Get some credit. Well, how do I get credit? You can't until you have credit. You're build it was a- almost that, it was like that, almost that vicious cycle. And I was very, very frustrated. Yeah. And when I when I looked into this model, I found a local distributor here in Cincinnati called HM Company. And they're a hip distributor. They've been around for since the nineteen fifties. They're a phenomenal uh phenomenal distributor. And I had already built a relationship with them um over the, the few months. And so I talked to him regularly about my struggles and you know, he kinda acted as a mentor to me in a lot of ways. And I'll never forget one night on the phone, you know, I had Probably been rejected for the 18th time, and I'm telling him, and I'm frustrated and i, I don't have it in my nature to give up, but I was frustrated, and um he he asked me he was like, "Well, what are you going to do and I said, "Steve, if I have to apply to a thousand banks, eventually somebody is going to say yes mm-hmm. because I'm not ever going to stop like i this is I've decided this is what i'm going to do. I feel very confident, you know we were taking out a loan that was i don't know roughly eighty thousand maybe um and we didn't know we were gonna to need to buy all this equipment. We didn't know a lot of what we know nowadays, but we knew we were gonna borrow some money and invest. But our note, our SBA note, you know, when we finally ended up getting the loan, it, it was like $1,400, $1,500 a month. <clears throat> finally, I went to a local credit union that I had a relationship with, and they were trying to grow their business department. Mm-hmm. And I had done business with them for years personally. And so I sat down and talked to them and I said, look, here's my personal finances we have no debt. So for our house, we have a pretty good revenue or a pretty good, uh, you know, household income, our personal cash flow. we can easily support this note for the entire length of the note personally. Yes. So if this business, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I'm like going into the sales pitch, but it was the honest truth. It was how I actually saw it. And finally, like it just clicked with them and they were like, you'd be willing to do that. And I'm like, you have no idea. Like I'll be willing to do anything that is legal or ethical those are the only two lines I won't cross to be successful. And they, you know, they gave it to me eventually, but it was, it was, it was a long road and it was exhausting. You know, three or four months doesn't sound like a long time, but when you're living it and you're working a full-time job and you're spending your lunch hour, calling banks and applying and sending emails. And, you know, and I worked out in the field. So, I mean, I wasn't in an office. It wasn't always easy. to do. Yeah. Uh, But, and you can't, you can't call them on the weekends. So, I mean, you really have, like, it was, it was, it was a long three or four months, but one of, my, one of my biggest strengths is that I am stubborn to a fault. <laughs> you know, as a little kid, I wouldn't want to raise me. <laughs> you know, as a, as a little kid, it wasn't always a good thing. But as an adult, I found that if I channel it for good versus evil, <laughs> that, uh, that, that I, I'm able to accomplish a lot more than I ever dreamed that I could. And so it's, it's, really, it's really just taking my dreams and just taking them to a whole new level but it, it wasn't easy. Um, and you know, I, I don't know how many people would have given up. I just knew that I wasn't going to. Yeah. So yeah. it was kind of, a, it was kind of a crazy time. It wasn't, it wasn't smooth.
1: <laughs> but I, I mean, I find that that is a lot of people's experience when they get into business, any kind of business really is that it's the people who are willing to like do the crazy, like, it's crazy that you called 20, you know, banks and you, it's, you had to do it on your lunches and between, you know, jobs. And it's crazy that after you got the business, you, you know, you, you went there every day at five in the morning, you'd go at night sometime, like those things are crazy, but it's that tenacity. And that just, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am now. This is what I'm doing, you know, and it's just going to happen. And I'm going to just keep going until I make it happen. And I think that's, you know, I think that's a huge key to success. I'm sure it's a huge key to, to your success. Um, it yeah. is, absolutely. And, and sometimes I think
2: back, you know, I, I, ironically enough, in kindergarten, when they ask all the kids, what do you want to be when you grew up at like your little graduation? Uh-huh. You know, little Johnny says Batman, and this guy says a police officer. And I said, I wanted to own my own business. You know, I didn't know what an entrepreneur was, but I said, I want to own my own business. And all the adults were like, Oh, that's cute. Because back then, that wasn't near as like in vogue as it is nowadays. It wasn't near as cool to be an entrepreneur or a business owner back then. Um, and so they all thought it was cute. But I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if you're born an entrepreneur or not. All I know is like, that's just where my mind and my heart and my drive has always went. And when I finally had the opportunity, and I knew I had you know, the right thing and the right opportunity in front of me, and I'm in my you know, early 30s, and I'm married with a family like sometimes I wonder what, how would I have responded to that opportunity when I was 19 or 20? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I mean, it was the same guy, but I was certainly like at a different place in life.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, fun was a lot more important to me than, than, you know, setting up myself for success or serving my community or, (laughs) I mean, that's just the reality. So sometimes I wonder, I I really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy and blessed. And part of it too is, you know, I didn't go to college. Um, I started working right out of high school and worked in an entry-level position at Cincinnati Bell, and I worked there for 17 years. And during the time that I worked there, I worked in sales, marketing, I worked in the skilled trades outside, learning how to use tools. Um, I mean, I I learned so many skills through working in those departments that I had no idea I was learning. And every single one of those are directly attributable to how I learned my business. It's amazing to me that like, oh, I was being prepared. I, I absolutely believe that that was the case. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's fun to look back and it's, it's, it's kind of humbling at the same time. Obviously, I'm living my dream. Um, there's, there was no other way to put it. <laughs> the laundromat dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but I have people ask, you know, guys talk and they say, oh, what, what do you do for a living? And, you know, my first response is either I'm an entrepreneur or I'm a business owner. People are always fascinated by that. They, they're so impressed. They think that's been fantastic. Yeah. The next question they ask is, so what kind of business are you in? <laughs> and I tell them I own laundromats. And they go, oh. Huh. Yeah. And they always have this look on their face like, I thought you were a real business owner. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I, you know, I used to kind of take offense to it. It kind of was a shot to the heart a little bit. Now I'm pretty used to it. But I realized you know, a big part of my opportunity for the business and the industry that we're in is that it's not sexy yeah if it were sexy then there would be a lot more people attracted to it but it's amazing how many people avoid this industry because it's not sexy yeah Um, you know and obviously there's a negative connotation associated with a laundromat in general so when you say the word laundromat most people don't think of my my stores and so the flip side of that is we get people walking in our stores every day and they're like I've never seen a laundromat like this, this is awesome. you know, and you talk to, you talk to the top operators in the industry, they all hear the same thing, you know, that top 10% or whatever it is. They constantly hear that because it's the bottom, you know, 60% um, that people automatically associate, you know, the, the dungeons in the basements and, you know, half the equipment doesn't work and there's a homeless guy sleeping in the corner and, you know, it's, it's, it's unsafe and all these things. So that's, that's where people go with it. But there, as you know, there's a whole different side to the industry, um, which is which is very modern and becoming more modernized every day. Yeah, um, operations operations are are um, I wouldn't say overly complicated, but they're but they're not as simplistic as a lot of wonderment operations are. And you know, one of the one of the things I love the most about being a business owner is I get to decide what my business is. No one gets to decide that for me. Mm -hmm. And so there's more than one way to run a successful laundromat. It's not necessarily the way I do it. This is just how I've evolved and my team has
1: built. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about our industry. Well, that's awesome. Okay. So you got your first laundromat. How long did it take? Cause you own four right now. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So how long did it take you to get to your next one and then your next couple? And, and then just tell us a little bit about what your business looks like today. Mm-hmm.
2: So that's also a little bit of a funny story. So we take on this big uh, debt loan that we would never done, this big opportunity, this industry, we don't know. And within five or six months, we had you know, put a lot of sweat equity into our business. And I mean, business within seven or eight months would had doubled. It almost tripled. And it wasn't doing a lot, so it wasn't hard to double or triple it. Uh, But at the same time, you know, I kind of caught a bug. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew this would work. (laughs) And so I immediately start talking to my distributor. And I'm like, I want to get another one. I want to have 20. I want to have 30. I want to have 40. And that's my nature. I'm very ambitious. Yeah. (laughs) And so the whole time, he's like, Dave, you're doing fantastic. But slow down. Like, take a deep breath slow down. You don't want to move too fast. Well, once again, I've never been a good listener. Like, you yeah. <laughs> know, that's just not my nature. And so I just couldn't, I couldn't not look for other opportunities, even though I had no money, everything I had was poured into that store. Right. And, um, I ended up finding my second store and it was in an abandoned or it was in a strip mall. The laundromat was abandoned. It had been closed by the previous owner, but it was in a great location. And ironically, it was 20 minutes from my home where the other one was five minutes from my home, uh-huh. but it was 20 minutes from my home in the direction of my job. Oh, I awesome. yeah. And so I thought, okay, I know this community because it's not that far away. It was a great opportunity. Um, I literally got the laundromat for, you know what they say, free laundromat. The you mythical know, thought,
1: free laundromat. Right, right.
2: Free laundromat that comes with a lot of headache. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, you know, I walked in and it was, I mean, it was, it was accessible. The, the owner of the strip mall had a, Albatross on their hands, and they knew it. Yeah. And I just approached them and said, "I'm in the business. You know, I, I have a location over in Amelia. I didn't tell them how long I had had it. Right. Um, I know what I'm doing. I think this is a great location. If you're basically willing to sign me, you know, sign me to a long-term lease, this is what I'm going to do. And I had no idea how I was going to do it. I just knew that this, you know, I didn't have any money to buy another store." Um, and I also knew that once again, it would be unattended, it would be open 24 hours and I would need to stop by it regularly while I'm commuting. Yeah. So I thought, man, for the situation I'm in, I mean, this seems like it would work. It'll double my workload from, from too much already. But, um, I've always been a firm believer in business that you, when opportunities come about, like you don't get to choose when the opportunities come about, you just choose whether you take advantage of them or not. Yeah. And so it ended up in short, it ended up being about eight or nine months after we had bought our first store that we bought wow. the second store and we signed a lease and we, we were able to, I mean, it, it was in such bad shape, like none of the equipment in there was really useful. So we were able to work out a loan because we were in the business now, mm-hmm. we'll work out a manufacturer's loan um, for the financing of the equipment. And we put all new equipment in there and we, um, we took you know the cash flow that we were getting from our one store that was making some money and we would put that into it and me and my father-in-law and some friends just did twice the amount of sweat equity in that store that we did in our first store because i literally just had money for materials um and we ended up we ended up maxing on our credit card i mean it was we we pushed it to the limit Go for it yeah <laughs> and, and, we, and we we went from i mean our personal finances are very conservative i mean yeah. we we were debt-free except for our house. We had a pretty good savings. We had really good cash flow personally, and so this was very out of the ordinary for how me and my wife typically run our financial life. Um, but I just saw it as different from personal life. You know, I'm not doing this to buy a car or, a, or an ATV right. or a I'm doing this to buy an asset, and so yes. I saw that that, I saw that, that I felt that that risk was worth it for that reason. And so we we acquired it. We kept it closed for. Four and a half, five months, <clears throat> and literally, I stopped by there every day and worked until I couldn't work anymore, and went home and slept. And I, you know, had a lot of friends and family step up and help me. And some would just help for a day or two, which was appreciated. And some would help every weekend. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I still to this day, that place holds a special place in my heart within my uh, portfolio, um, just because I know the amount of you know blood, sweat, and tears and love that went into that. These people didn't ask anything from me. They were just like, wow, Dave's going to do this. He's crazy, but I'm <laughs> here for you, man. Um,
3: you know, and we, and we,
2: yeah, right, exactly. And so I'm, I'm sometimes amazed what we accomplished with as little resources as we had. It hoped that it was a small store. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like 2,100 square feet, maybe not even that. Um, and so that's how we acquired our second store. And so my story is we, we acquired two stores in less than a year. Yeah, that's crazy. And we opened that store and we had a pretty significant uh, loan for the equipment. And so part of it was, okay, well, we got to get this thing to break even, you know, quickly if we can. Yeah. And it was, it was profitable within three weeks. Whoa, that's awesome. It had been closed for six months before we took over it. And then we kept it closed for another year. So once again, that tells you the demand in the area. We had people while we're in there working, knocking on the doors, asking if they can come in. So we're like there's literally no washers in here like what <laughs> you know and so we we as we continued out with the project the word the buzz kind of spread in the in the neighborhood we knew there was a need as soon as we opened the doors they just came in droves you just flooded in yeah i mean it was profitable immediately um so that was how we acquired our second store which was which was definitely a, a unique situation um after that i had the bug twice as bad And so I continued to look and never really found the right opportunity. And several years went by and it it probably ended up being a good 3 or 4 more years. Um, And we just kept reinvesting everything the business has made back into our 2 businesses to grow them. And at this point, I realized this could be like a career. This could be my full-time gig. And I could actually someday quit my job. And so then I just dug in even harder. And I was like, you know what, if I if I dig really hard and I'm very disciplined and I reinvest and I keep my hand out of the cookie jar um, and to keep my lifestyle the same and all these things in a few years, I'll be able to leave my job. And so I was more motivated than ever before. And people thought I was more crazy than ever before. Cause you know, people are saying things like, well, how much money do you need Dave? It's like, you, you don't get it. Like you just, you know, this isn't about like buying a boat, like, yeah. it's about, uh, like changing my family tree at this point. Yes. Uh, So I I ended up, you know, I ended up around those two businesses. We eventually added a few part-time attendants that would do a little cleaning that were actually on payroll at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, And that helped a little. And I uh, I reached out to an old family or an old friend from high school um, that actually lived right up the road from my second store. And she still lived there. And she was married and had a kid. We had kind of lost touch. And I remember from our days right out of high school that she was one of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. And she was high integrity, high character, high energy. She was loyal. Um, And she had worked, basically when she got out of high school, she had worked at a server at a restaurant. And over her career, she had worked her way up in 17 years and she was the manager of this restaurant now. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to her and I said, all right, this is is my dream. This is what I'm going to do. We hadn't talked in 15 years. And I said, I'm building this chain on wonderbots, and I know I can't do this all on my own. And I want you to come do this with me. I want you to be my manager. And we talked, and I think she thought I was half crazy. <laughs> but long story short, I've, I've always been really good at selling my dream. It's something I'm, you know, really good at. Most people aren't. Um, and so she, you know, she eventually came around, and she said, "Well, since you have attendants that just work three hours in the morning, three hours in the evening, I'm going to keep my full-time job." And just work as an attendant for a few days and you know, do that for a few months and see if I like it, and then we'll and then I'll make a decision. And I said, Okay, that's fair. So I brought her in literally making nine dollars an hour. And she's got another full time job. And she worked third shift at this this Perkins restaurant and was the overnight manager. And she would work all night and she would stop on her way home and work for three hours for me and clean the store in the morning and then go home and have her life. And so she did this for I don't know, several months. And it eventually got to the point where I said, all right, <clears throat> you know, I want to bring you on full time. And, and, uh, we couldn't afford to hire her full time. So we slowly but surely gave her more and more hours. And I was, I was, you know, reinvesting pretty heavily in her basically, yeah. but I knew he was, I knew I couldn't do it alone and I needed, I needed a manager. And so long story short, her her restaurant actually got bought by the state and that they were putting a highway through. And so she would have lost her career. Yeah. And, about that time was the time we were acquiring our third store. And so I said, all right, timing's perfect. We're going to bring you on full time. And the rest is That's kind of history. She's, she's still my GM to this day. Whoa, she, cool. She's been with me for eight years now. She is, she is a rock star. And that is probably not even a, a fair statement um, for her value to me personally and our family. She is family to us at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is she's she makes way more than she ever made at her other job now um and one of the things i promised her is if you'll do this with me and you'll stick with me you know i can't afford to pay you much right now but as our business grows all i will i will compensate you more every chance i get and there was times where i gave her multiple raises in a short period of time and uh you know so i kept my word i did what i could do and i, I, I wouldn't I could have accomplished what I've accomplished without her, but I would have needed someone like her. Yeah. But I, would, I wouldn't have taken on the tasks that we have without her specifically. I just, I know my nature. I know I, I, like, if I didn't have her along my side, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done this. Um, I wouldn't have attempted to. And so it's, you know, she's a big part of our team. And we're the same age. We're both 43. And so it's pretty exciting to have kind of worked together and built this over the last eight, you know, 10 years. And we really feel like this is kind of the tip of the iceberg of where we're going to go. But long story short, once I hired her, we ended up purchasing a third store um, and that store had a a drop-off laundry service. And it was, it was a complete dump as well. uh, Also in a great location. And so one of the decisions we had to make is, okay, are we going to, we don't do drop-off services at our other stores. right? Are we going to like, you know, it wasn't much of a drop off. It was pretty rough the way it was ran. <laughs> I said, All right, I can't run it like that. I'm going to have to completely revamp it, put policies and procedures and training and all this stuff in place, or I'm just going to shut it down the day we close. And I talked with Marlene and we thought through it. And I talked with my wife, Carla, and I decided, Okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to transition from being partially attended or almost unattended to now we're going to be attended. We want to have fully attended stores. <clears throat> And so we knew that we needed every ounce of revenue we could get. And so we decided to keep the the drop-off laundry open. And so th- about two weeks before we closed on the third store, I quit my job. Ooh. And Marlene came on full time. And so things got real really quick. <laughs> yeah, they did. I mean, we had we had prepared for this for three or four years. So it wasn't a it wasn't a quick decision. But uh, you know, we it, it got real really quick. Things got really tight all of a sudden. Calling out that plumber, it used to be no big deal. Holy cow, I'm going to pay this guy. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, we re- we revamped the drop off service, and it, it did really well, and continues to this day. And that really changed our path in the laundromat business because we not only transitioned from unattended to attended, which is a big difference, right. but we also <clears throat> you know added a pretty. I mean, it took a little while, but we added a pretty high um quality um drop-off laundry service. And we I mean we charge a dollar fifty a pound now and we'll probably be raising our prices in the next few weeks. Yeah, it's awesome. So, yeah, we're at the I mean, we're kinda near the top of the industry when it comes to, you know, costs um of what we can charge per pound, where a lot of people are still charging a dollar, a dollar ten a pound more or less in some areas. Um and so you know, once we did that, we realized, okay, let's back up and go back to the second store we bought and let's start a la- drop-off laundry service there. Once we got this one perfected, then I moved Marlene back to this store and we built a drop-off laundry service there. And she managed both, all three stores basically from that one site. And we grew that drop-off laundry service. And a few years after that, <coughs> we acquired our fourth store. Um, and it was the same thing. It was really run down. Um, It happened to be a huge facility. Um, It was kind of it was it was like it's like fifty two hundred square feet, but it's one of these deals where it was two businesses on one. It was a dry cleaner on one side and a laundromat on the other. Uh So only half of it has the laundromat footprint. The other side was basically a huge drop dry cleaning. So they didn't have equipment, but it was a huge facility. And so when I when I approached them about acquiring it, they you know, they they were like, "Well, it's, you got to take all the space." I'm like, "But I don't need all the space. I don't want all the space." Yeah. And we worked out a deal where he gave me a pretty sweetheart deal on the rent on the other side, and I said, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna acquire this." And we revamped the laundry, the drop off laundry service there, and you know, fast forward to what we're doing nowadays. Now we have a pretty high volume uh, laundry pickup and delivery business called Happiness. And the funny thing is, like when we acquired that location, we thought we had all this like wasted unused space. And three, we've been doing our happiness for about three and a half years now. Uh-huh. It, it's grown to the point where it generates double the revenue of our store. It's all run out of this one store. Wow. Uh, and so now we have successful drop-off laundry services at three of our four stores. Um, we have a general manager, which is Marlene, and she has roughly 40 employees that report to her. We have three trucks on the road for our delivery business. Um, and you know we do about 25 to 30,000 pounds a month in just delivery. And that's a $1.89, a $1.99 a pound. And so, it, it, you know, when you t- I always tell people the beauty of the pickup and delivery business is you take an already successful business model of a of laundromat, and then you take another successful model and you lay it on top of it, but you leverage the same infrastructure. Yeah. When you do that, it turns a $300,000 laundromat into a million-dollar laundromat. Yeah. If you're running it, we're still running it with one employee, you know, one manager. Um, and so our general manager, Marlene, is also the store manager at that store. That's where she spends most of her time. Mm-hmm. She manages probably half our, probably over half of our employees out of that one facility. We have a third shift production crew that processes the laundry overnight um, while the store is closed to the public. And so once again, we're leveraging that infrastructure. Yeah. Um, while the laundrom- you know, most laundromats, if they're open 24 hours, they don't do much business. Mm-hmm. Most aren't open at all, so they don't do any business. Right. We probably generate more revenue. Well, we definitely do. More revenue when we're closed than when we're open. Yeah. So I tell people, I'm like, you know, I, I wasn't smart enough to plan this all out ten <laughs> years ago. It just kind of evolved and I just followed my passion. And, you know, I bounced a lot of stuff off of my wife who's a, you know, professional school teacher. And she's not an entrepreneur. She'll be the first to tell you that. Yeah. But we, we are we're a really great team because she actually has a background in accounting. That's her degree. Um, and so she does all of our bookkeeping and all of our accounting and keeps all that straight, which I could never do. Oh. Uh, and as we grew in the business, it went from just like a little side business of a few thousand dollars a week. Um, and now we're, you know, a multi million dollar operation and we have, you know, we've created 40 jobs that didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have, uh, I, I always say, I mean, we weren't always in this position, but I'd put my team up against anyone in the country at this point. We've invested heavily in operations. And in people, um, we, we really believe you can have a great product. You can have brand new machines and fancy this and free Wi Fi and all that, which is important in a modernized laundromat. But the thing that will really separate you from your competition, 99 out of a hundred times is having operations with the level that you take them to. Yeah. And So me and Marlene and my wife, um, have taken that very, very seriously. And, you know, here we are 10 years later. And like I said, me and my wife, Marlene, we're all 43 years old. And we feel like we have a really good foundation. Um, we have a history of running unattended laundromats, transitioning them into attended, um, building a drop-off service from the ground level, not knowing anything about it, and learning through the School of Hard Knocks, and networking with other laundromat owners throughout the industry. And then the drop-off laundry service has just like shot us to the moon and beyond. And one of the things we've learned... Or not the drop-off, but the uh, pickup and delivery. Uh-huh. And one of the things we've learned in three years with pickup and delivery is when we started that business, we really just thought it would be an ancillary income. You know, buy a van, go pick up some laundry, and uh, our drop-off will of grow. And we really like, didn't think a whole lot more into that. But everything I do, I do well. I mean, I, I'm, I'm 150 miles an hour, and right. everything, I'm kind of a perfectionist. And because of those things, I kind of met the market at the you know, society at this perfect place where they were kind of melding into what I call the Amazon economy. And everybody wants full service, everything right to their door, and we were perfectly positioned. Seven years prior, we had been building a team for this business that we had no idea we were even going to run someday. And we were building—you know—we had invested heavily in uh, all new equipment. I mean, probably a couple million dollars worth of equipment between our four stores, and you know, those those notes get pretty heavy um, Mm -hmm. at times. And so, my thing was, okay, how can I, you know, without buying a fifth and a sixth and an eighth business, how can I leverage my current assets? And that's where you know, marketing our drop-off services at our stores, being attended, just transitioning from unattended to attended. And, yeah. you know, it, took a year, it took a year and a half and two years, but our business doubled just by making that transition. And one of the things we've learned in the industry is there's nothing wrong with running an unattended man. Don't get me wrong. But one of the things we've learned is that when you transition from unattended to attended, there is a whole different segment of society that will now use your facility. Mm-hmm. That that was a deal breaker. They would, no matter how nice it was, they will not use your facility if you're unattended. Period yeah. of story. And we didn't know that. I mean, we learned that just by trial and error. Yeah. Um, so we've just, over the course of 10 years, we've just taken all this experience and knowledge and uh, a lot of stuff in our toes and a lot of stress and grief and headache and worry um, and transitioned it into something that, you know, I, I mean, I'm literally living my dream and I've created jobs for these people that didn't used to have jobs. And some of them are entry level, um, but a lot of, probably over half of them are not, um, probably close to half of our staff makes 5 to $6 above minimum wage. And some of them make double or more um, minimum wage. And so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. You know, a lot of them are part-time, but they're part-time because they want to be right their decision. Um, but a lot of them have transitioned from part-time to full time. And so I get a lot of satisfaction out of, you know, yes, supporting my family and, you know, being an entrepreneurial geek and just doing what I do every day. Uh, but I get a lot of satisfaction out of knowing that I'm serving the community. Um, the east side of Cincinnati was just when it comes to laundry facilities, it was in shambles at one point. Mm -hmm. And now we have four of the top stores in the state, probably, as far as the quality of operations and the quality of the facilities and uh, to back up our second store that was a small twenty one hundred square foot store, is right. um, in a strip mall. We eventually tore down the wall in between it and the space next door, and now it's about forty five hundred square feet. Wow! Um, so it's our second. It went from being our smallest to our second biggest store. And so I always say that project, which was a lot, and I managed it myself. Um, that was a lot. I learned a ton through that process of building a laundromat, even though I've never technically built a laundromat. Yeah. So now we're in the process of actually building a laundromat, um, our fifth. And so now I'm applying a lot of those skills and the things I learned with that project. I've always felt that I own four laundromats, but it was actually five because the one that I kind of doubled the size of, it was basically like buying or building a new laundromat. Yeah. It was a a different set of challenges, but um, you know, we feel like our operations and our experience and our age, like we're, we're perfectly positioned to do much more than we've done in our first 10 years in the next 20. Yeah. So now, we're, now we're, you know, we really focus on two things. Now we focus on, you know, serving the industry and giving back. And, you know, I do some consulting and things like that and helping people when I can. And I also focus on, you know, meeting the needs of other communities, finding other opportunities. I've probably turned down 10 or 15 laundromats. That people approach me about, but they were either in a market that was already served or in a market that didn't need one. You know, there's mm-hmm. 2000 people there or something like that. Right. Um, and so I've turned down a lot of opportunities too. And so now I'm really looking for new opportunities and new markets throughout Cincinnati and maybe even outside of Cincinnati um, to continue to serve, you know, serve the community. And now we've kind of settled in on this, you know, good, better, best business model because we used to just be a self serve laundromat.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: then we had a drop off and now we offer pickup and delivery and so we have this good better best model and they're all a different different clientele a different segment of the market that still all has a specific need yeah and so it's you know it's pretty exciting to me if you had told me this where i would be 10 years ago i <laughs> like i never would have believed you and certainly no one that knew me would have ever believed this <laughs> but it's just a good old-fashioned tenacity
1: <laughs> well you know what hindsight's 2020 I mean as I'm listening to your story it's it's so fascinating because what i'm hearing is you just stacking stuff on top of each other like you had this like idea of yourself wanting to be a business owner and and so you had kind of that vision and then you kind of stumbled on this laundromat and then, you you know, you had the tenacity, so you just went for it, and you found a way to get it, and then you found a way to make it work. And then you did it again, you know, again with this tenacity and just, you know, expanding kind of your vision and what's possible and just being an action taker and doing it. And then you're learning along the way, you know, how to do different things, and then you're applying it and growing and growing. And, you know, you built out this uh, half of the if uh, your second laundromat and you're using that now to build out your fifth laundromat. And it's just pretty cool to see. You know, I think a lot of times when people want to get into business, they want to, they see where you're at and they're like, well, I want to do that. But what they don't see is the five years where you were working 100 hours a week and yeah. people were telling you, no, we're not going to give you any money. We don't believe in you. Essentially, is what the banks are saying. We don't yes. believe in you. Yes. Your friends <laughs> are telling you that you're crazy and your family is like, oh man, here he goes again. He's buying another one or whatever. And And yet, you know, people want what you have. But in order to get there, you got to you got to pay the price to get there. You know, you got to learn what you need to learn because there's no way, I bet, I can almost guarantee you that if somebody was just going to hand you your portfolio that you have now, back when you first started and said, here, here are these four laundromats and, and you're building one, that it would have just all gone to waste. You know, oh. you've been able to handle it because you didn't have everything that you have. And so I love hearing your story because I just love hearing you stack All of these skills. And and,
2: And and honestly, it wasn't, I mean, obviously it it wasn't by design. I mean, it was intentional, but it wasn't by design. Like 10 years ago, I never knew that I would do this. But one of the things I've always done in my life is I've never been afraid to pivot. Like I've I've never believed just because that's what I used to do that I have to keep doing that. Um, I've always built my foundation of my family, my faith, and my my businesses um, from a foundation of, of character foundation of just simply doing the right thing and following the path, whatever path that is and not trying to, um, you know, force things that don't come. And that's why I've always really focused on meeting needs in the community that are already there. It's, it's a, nobody's doing it. Why wouldn't I do it? Um, and if you can do it and make money, it's very, very satisfying.
1: Yeah. yeah, That's, That's so cool. It's so cool to hear that. Um, I I'd love to just, Take a second, and just get down to business a little bit, and just hear a little bit of just you know the baseball card stats of your of your businesses. Uh, let's get down to business. Over and out. So we already know that you're in you're in Ohio, you're in Cincinnati area, um, and you have so you have four laundromats, and you're building a fifth, mm-hmm. and then. I think you mentioned at one point, uh, maybe to me beforehand that you have some real estate too. Is that the case? Yeah, we have one commercial
2: property. Um, it's the building that our third store is in. Um, we acquired that store. It was in a standalone building. And so when we approached the owner of the building, which was a separate person, um, Mm -hmm. about signing a long-term lease, they had inherited the building from their dad and it was paid for. And they didn't really want to be in commercial property. Right. And so they were like, well, we're, we're, we're okay to talk about that, but would you be interested in buying the building? Well, uh, yeah, of course, <laughs> are you crazy? <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we we acquired the business with a lease and two months later, we closed on the building. And so now we own this commercial property. Um, and if we ever sell the business, we still have the revenue from the commercial property because uh. if we ever sell the business, it's going to be sold at a pretty good multiple to somebody that can drive the business and support it. Um and one of the things we've learned through that too is that that's a pretty profitable long term business venture, uh, just the real estate holdings alone. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we focused on is is now, you know, our fourth store, when we acquired it, it's in a small strip mall, about 10,000 square feet. And when we signed a long term lease for that, um, we got a first refusal for 30 years to purchase wow. the strip mall. And so the owner that has it right now still doesn't want to sell, but he's he's getting up there in age and he's, he's going to be selling eventually. And when he does, we'll acquire that and then actually have some tenants other than ourselves. Um, yep. and, uh, and we actually were just approached recently from one of our competitors, um, about purchasing of, um, their business. Cause we've kind of put a, put a big curtain on them over the last 10 years yeah. uh, through, our, through our growth. And they're in a standalone building as well. And they own that property and they want to sell us that building. And so, Now that we're like perfectly positioned to meet a lot of these needs, all of a sudden we have many opportunities coming our way. Um, And so a big part of our business model over the the rest of my life is to find ways to to focus on multiple revenue streams. And that includes acquiring the real estate and the depreciation and things that come along with um, owning and building a real estate portfolio. And so someday we will either, you know, back out of the business when we're, you know, in our rocking chair days, we'll back out of the business, keep the real estate as investments, which is pretty much passive at that point. Uh-huh. Um, and, or we'll just pass the businesses on to our kids um, if they're interested. And then they'll be our, you know, we can mentor them through the process and they will be our our, land, our tenants. And when we're someday gone, then they will inherit the buildings and it will just create this multi-family or multi-generational business model. Um, If they're interested, you know, we're not, we're not ones to pressure them or or focus on that, but they know that that opportunity is there if they want to go take it, but they also know we're not going to give it. Like that's not in my future. Nothing was given to me and nothing's going to be given to you. Tell me, tell them gone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so now, so now I take like this step back and kind of have this like 30,000 foot view of what I've created, but the opportunity I have over the next 20 or 30 years, which includes continuing to grow the business, continuing to diversify the business in different ways. Uh, my 21 year old daughter uh, works full time in the business now. And I don't know if she always will, but she does right now. And that's, that's really exciting to see where she grows as she matures. And my 12 year old is already talking about, he wants to run the whole empire. <laughs> and <laughs> so right. we'll, we'll see how that works out. I don't know if it'll be a fight, but we'll make it work. <laughs> uh, but it's, that's, that's a whole new level of just like love, like just, just loving what I do, knowing that whether that happens or not, that I
1: put my family in a position where that could happen. Yeah, I think that's yeah. The future is pretty exciting for us. One of the things, just a little side note. One of the things I did with my son is I told him, "Hey, if you save up your money and you buy a little like bubble gum machine or whatever, um, you can put it in the store, and I'll teach you how to run that like a business." He's eight okay. right now. Um, And so he has Noah's. He did. He saved his money. And actually, the the story is really sad. He he saved his money. My buddy made him like a cool little stand for it. We bolted it into the ground. We did a little like ceremony for him. And that night, some guy came in high on something and literally just ripped it out into that night, same night and took it. Um, okay. so that was his first, uh, his first foray into business. Oh my goodness. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's good because that, you know, that again, those are the lessons that he's learning. And one of the things that I want to do is whether he ends up taking over our laundromats or whatever, I don't know. We're, we're a long time from that, hopefully, but yeah, um, trying to just teach him, here's how business works. If you want to go into business for yourself, you know, doing laundromats or anything else, Here's, here's how you manage your finance. You don't just get all this money from your bubble gum machine and get to spend it all because um, you got to buy inventory and you want to have money to reinvest and you know, all this stuff. So it's been a... But funny. It's funny that you tell that story because I have a similar
2: one. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we have time for it, but I'll make it real quick. So my daughter, when we got into the business, I had the exact same mindset. I was like, I want my kids to learn that there's nothing wrong with having a job and working for an employer, but I also want them to know there's, there's more than one way to make a living. And if it's for them, that's fine, but I want them to get the lesson in life. And so, my daughter, who is not an entrepreneur by nature at all, she will tell you that. Um, she was probably 12, 10 or 12 maybe at the time. And I basically said, you know, she had some savings. Um, and I said, you know, this is what we're going to do. And I basically told her she was going to do it. And we bought a sticker machine that bends the little kid's stickers. Yeah, And so she used her savings, bought a sticker machine. Um, she ended up taking that one and buying a second one. And my current 12-year-old, who is mini-me, like uh-huh. born entrepreneur, um, <laughs> when he was 5, he calls her Titi. Um, and when she was 5, he heard us talking one day that she had made $100 the previous month off of her sticker machine. Uh-huh. He's always been one to like, you know, nose into everything. Yeah. <laughs> he looked at us at five years old. And he said, well, I want to own a sticker machine. And I said, well, we actually just bought a third laundromat. If you save up the money, then you can buy a sticker machine and you can put it in our third store. And that little boy for three and a half years saved every penny he could find (laughs) birthday money. He would have be out shoveling driveways when it was nine degrees out. He sticks and saving the money and he would sell things that he didn't want anymore. And, you know, the, the machine was $400 and the inventory was about $200. Yeah. So it was about a $600 investment for a, for a five-year-old. I mean, that's like a million dollars. That is like a million long dollars. Story short, long story short, my daughter was successful. She got the lesson. Um, when she went off to college, my son had, had bought his first machine and had just saved up for his second machine. And so he bought her two locations from her. That's awesome. So at this point, he's probably nine and he has three sticker machines in three stores, but we've just acquired a fourth store. And so he takes the revenue from the three, puts a sticker machine in the fourth, And about six to eight months ago, he took the revenue from all four of those sticker machines and bought a claw machine that he's now put in our store. And so me and my wife joke all the time that we're like, he's going to be like the only 16-year-old pulling into school like in a BMW. Yeah. And everybody's going to be like, oh, yeah, look what mommy and daddy bought you. And we'll be like, no, he actually paid cash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. uh, that's why I joke with people all the time. All, all three of my kids are very smart, capable of anything they want. But he is is one hundred percent entrepreneur. Yeah. And that lesson, you know, with, with her, I kind of had to encourage and push her into that lesson. With yeah. him, he drug me into it. And yeah. so it's just been it's been fascinating to see so cool. you know him get that message. And he has a little brother that, that isn't an entrepreneur, probably, um, but he still he listens and he hears and he learns yeah and so we'll, we'll see where that goes with our kids and how that works out in life but for me yeah. it's all about the lesson you know that's that's what it is so that's awesome to hear that somebody else is doing that oh usually, yeah usually, usually i tell people that story and they're like wow that's fantastic i've never heard anything like that yeah and i think you're the first one that's been like yeah i'm basically doing the same thing yeah it's, I, I, it's heartbreaking that it got broken into but like you said there's also kind of a lesson to that it's so. now
1: yeah, and, you had to be curious. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I was, and I haven't seen that guy since, and it's probably a good thing. Um, but uh, what I ended up doing, so we had some conversations about that, and you know, it, it was it was good. It was, he was sad, obviously. But uh what I ended up doing was saying, I'm gonna buy another gumball machine for you, but you still have to pay for it. So I ended up getting the opportunity to teach him about how to use a loan to buy an asset like you did and, and to do it, um, in, in a wise way. And I said, you'll just give me a little bit every month from what your mach- your gumball machine makes until it's paid off. And then, you know, it'll go. So, and, and I make them, I make them do a split. I'm, I make them pay, pay me, you know, to have his gumball machine, like all the other vendors that we have in our, our stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm just saving that and I'll, you know, it'll probably go to school or whatever. Yeah later. That's fantastic. Good for you. Pretty cool though. Um, all right, back to business. Uh, give give me some, give us like a feel of, um, vending prices in, in Cincinnati. How much is it costing to do, you know, a few various types of sizes of loads?
2: Yeah, it depends. Um, we're definitely a high price leader. Um, we're, we are definitely significantly above our competitors. I mean, our competitors are, are probably more in line with, you know, the, the, the market across the country, which tends to be, you know, too low, uh, not enough people are aggressive enough raising their prices and, and charging, uh, probably what they should for the level of service they provide. But, yep. um, I have some competitors that are in really rough shape that are still vending top loaders for a dollar 50 Yeah, minor, minor three bucks. Yeah. I'm literally charging double. Um, and, and we probably won't have top loaders in the future, but right now we do, but we, we are afraid to charge what we feel is a top of the market vend price for them. Uh, we have 20 pound machines that we vend for $4. Uh, we have 40 pound machines that we've for $6 and we have 80 pound machines that we've for $10. Or, um, yeah. $10. Um, and then on the 60, the 40 sixties and eighties, we have the extra wash, extra rinse functions. And on the forties, the extra wash and extra rinse is a dollar each. Yeah. And uh, 60 where a lot of people are still like doing quarters. Um, and on the '60s and '80s, the extra wash and extra rinse is two dollars each. And when I tell people that, they're like, "Are you insane? Like, I've never heard of anybody charging more than fifty cents for an extra wash. Like, it's eight loads of laundry. Like, that's a lot. Just, of water. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're you're cutting yourself short if you're doing that. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of people just like because they can build charge by quarter increment pricing. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Um, and we converted two of our four stores from quarter over to dollar coin. Okay. That's part of the reason our prices are set up that way. But now even at our quarter stores, everything is done in dollar pricing. Yeah. If we raise the price, we raise fifty cents or a dollar. Yeah. And if we do fifty cents, it's when we convert the store to dollar coin, it's gonna go up by another fifty and be rounded up. Um and then our our uh our dryers, um, the, the dollar coin stores are a dollar. Um on the thirty pound dryers, they're a dollar for sixteen or sorry. A dollar for twenty-four minutes, which is a quarter for six minutes. Uh Forty-five pound dryers are a dollar for sixteen minutes, or a quarter for four minutes. Yeah, Uh, and so we're actually evolving and working our dryer pricing over to full cycle pricing, Um, which is you know I know a lot of people that have done it with great success. Yeah, Uh, so that's something that's something we're working on in the future. But in my opinion, if you run a halfway decent laundromat, let alone a, a really nice modern top of the industry mat. Mm -hmm. If your self-serve prices aren't 15 cents a pound or higher, like you're cutting yourself short. And I tell people all the time, they're like, yeah, but my competitors, I have competitors too. We had, we had somebody build a brand new store as a distributor, not mine, but a different one, build a brand new store. Our four stores are kind of in a triangle of each other all within 15 miles. Mm -hmm. They're not that far away. Somebody built a brand new store right in the middle of our four stores. And started out with a vend price of a dollar for a twenty-pound machine as like a loss leader. Two years later, they're still charging that price because they can't capture any market share. Mm. Other counters are four dollars; theirs are a dollar, and they can't take customers from us. Jeez! And so that's when I go back to what I said earlier. If I put my team up against anyone, a lot of times it comes back to the people and the training and the operations and the processes and the, the support and the love that goes into a family work environment. And if you do things right and it's genuine and sincere, I mean, those, those people run through a brick wall for you. Yeah. And they want, want nothing more than to take phenomenal care of every customer that walks through the door. Yeah, not, not everyone will pay for that level of service, but there's plenty of people in any market that will pay for that level of service. But what I find is people either underprice or they overprice. They want, they want to charge prices like I do but they're really not to where we are. They just have like a new start with new machines, right. but it's unattended and it's not that clean and there's nobody there to help. And mm-hmm. within three or four years, it starts to look tired. And it's like, well, you were like, you were really high quality the day you opened, but you've, you've, you went downhill. Dury is fast. So, yeah. And so we're really big about staying cutting edge we're, our, our entire business philosophy is, is really all about uh, pushing the envelope. And being better tomorrow than we were yesterday. And so that's that's how a lot of these opportunities have come up is because like we're never content. We're happy, but we're never content. We're always looking for a better way to serve people. And as we do those things and execute at a high level, we're also not afraid to charge for it. Because our customers come in and they love us. I mean, they don't come in and say I'm price gouging them. They come in and say, I'll happily pay double the price because you have triple the level of service Mm of the guy down the road. Yeah, And so, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat and the laundry industry is no different. People just, a lot of times, a lot of times they're afraid of the unknown or they're afraid they're going to lose half their business if they raise their price 50 cents. I've raised my top letters from 2 to $3, which is a 50% increase in price and not lost a customer. Yeah. And so it can be done. And I'm not unique. I mean, there's other people operating at a high level in our industry, as you and I know. Yeah. Uh, not the only one. There's, There's thousands of them. Yep. Um, and if they're not, you know, charging in a similar price model, then they're, they're cutting themselves short.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Do you have any cards at all? Or is it all coin? Uh, right now it's all coin. Um, over the next couple of years, we're going to convert
2: our last two quarter stores over to dollar coin.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: then once we do that, we're going to add a uh, CCI fast card, a hybrid system to those four stores. And so they'll operate on dollar coin and they'll operate on the credit card, debit card, or the fast card. Right. Uh, pay you know phone pay app, um and so we're they're they're suburban stores they're not like high volume uh urban stores if you will uh-huh. and uh, and so their volume is to a place where we can make that work long term but quarters i mean it's you know not that people aren't operating with quarters because two of my stores are but it's uh it's becoming the way of the dinosaur very quickly especially if you're a high price leader yeah uh, yeah $10, and so that's our there's a lot that's of quarters. Our, <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean actually, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you use an eighty pound machine and you choose extra wash and extra rinse, that's fourteen dollars. Yeah. Which sounds insane. And that's a lot of quarters, but the reality is it's also eight loads of laundry that have been washed and rinsed twice. Yeah. And so they're well, if they were heavily soiled, I mean it's I always I always tell people, well, if they're heavily soiled then you need to wash them and rinse them twice. Would you rather pay twenty bucks or would you rather pay fourteen? That's right, because yeah. they, it's all about value and that's a big thing that i've learned in the business that i didn't always know is that there's a there's a big difference in price and value and i refuse to compete on price i always compete on value right. and i always make sure that i win but i can charge significantly more than you if i charge if i provide a much higher level of service and yep. my value proposition is way higher than yours is and I really believe that's that's one of the things I really pound hard when I talk to people and consult and network with other operators is I, I really try to pound into them that, you know, I, for, for whatever reason, the laundry industry is probably as sensitive to price as any industry. Yeah. And there's plenty of industries that are sensitive to price. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really try to push back on people and they, you know, I hear all the time, well, you can do that, but I can't because of this. And, you know, it's like I have no competitors or something. And so I was actually, as far as my story is concerned, I was a little happy that somebody built a Brady laundromat in the middle of my four stores because that's like the worst case scenario, right? That's like every laundromat bike there. there. And so now I can tell people, look, I'm I'm not unique, you know? I mean, you can do this. And, uh, you know, there might be exceptions to that. There's some markets that are really, really insane. And I respect that. Um, But the reality is, I, I think those are few and far between. I think most people are just selling themselves short or they don't want to step up that value proposition. They, you know, they like the idea of charging those prices, but they don't want to operate at that level because it's not easy. No it's, it's frankly kind of exhausting at times. You know, I'm kind of obsessive. And I've built a team of people that are kind of obsessive with serving people and they have the heart of a servant. They want to serve others and they get satisfaction out of that above and beyond just their paycheck. And so we've been very intentional about that. And so I've said for 10 years, I'm building an army
1: and that's exactly what I'm doing. And I'm never going to stop. I love that. I love that. <laughs> All right. So do you, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just loving your mindset and the way that you are approaching things and the way that you're thinking about things. I think you. if, you know, anybody listening to this, you know, in whatever industry, or even if they're not in the long demand industry for life, I think they're going to take value from that. So absolutely. Awesome.
2: And these aren't, I didn't create any of these. I stole everything that I just said. I stole every bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know that. I don't own it. I just want to share it. I just want people to know, like, you yeah. can do this in this industry. Yeah, yeah you, can you can do it outside, too. Um, but, yeah, I'm a, I'm a thief in the night. I steal all kinds of good ideas.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, and that's, you know, that's good. But it's not just what you're saying, you know. it's It's the way that you're thinking, and I think that's, you know, I think that's valuable, so... Do you have any sense of, um, like an average, like how many turns per day they're doing, maybe outside of your, um, pickup and delivery service? Do you have any sense of that?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's anywhere from three to five, uh, okay. depending on the, size of the machines, the, the the smaller machines are closer to three and that's mainly because we have more of them. I mean, if we had, you know, a similar number, uh, the turns would be a little higher. Yeah. And that's one of the things I've kind of learned in the business too, is, <clears throat> um, a lot of people, whether they're they're architects or manufacturers or distributors, and I'm not just I'm not just saying the the uh, the shady ones because there are some you know unethical distributors out there. Right. Um, but I'm talking about even ones that are well intentioned that mean well. Um, <clears throat> one of the biggest things I see in our in our industry is there's too much equipment and not enough space. I see it over and over again. Mm-hmm. So. I've I've learned that myself because I could say pretty much every one of my stores, if I didn't have my pickup and delivery business, which is a whole different animal, if I didn't have that, uh, I mean, with my pickup and delivery business at that store, our turns per day are probably closer to eight or nine. Um, and so, you know, that becomes really profitable really quickly. Yeah. But I believe when people are retrofitting stores, you know, one of the mistakes I made early on <clears throat> was okay, this is the footprint. It's obviously expensive to change the footprint. And so I'm going to see how many machines I can fit in this footprint. And that was really my only focus. Mm-hmm. And in the last four or five years, I've really kind of taken my operations knowledge to a different level. And I've went back and taken a lot of those machines out. <coughs> um, and my turns per day have gone up because I don't believe in having any machine out of order for you know any more than a day or two unless if I can help it. Um, and so because of that, Okay, well, if I'm operating after five years at two or three turns per day, that just tells me I have too many of those machines in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can pull four of them out and sell them or give them to a friend or move them to somewhere else or redistribute them in a different way. Um, and now, because all the machines are... If them, you need more machines than you really need in your operations if you're not going to keep them all running. Mm-hmm. because Every time you lose one, you're losing capacity. but if you keep all your machines running at all times and you're very hypersensitive and obsessive about that then really what you need to do is just find the right fit what's the right number and you need to keep you know in my opinion you know your turns per day should be four or five you should never be less than that um but there's other things that go into that when it comes to like throughput you know if you're going to have you're going to have an operation that regularly is running four or five turns a day or more then you have to set it up that way. You have to allow for very quick throughput. You have to have wide aisles. Um, You have to have friendly attendants that are quick to help people and quick to clean up spills. And you have to have proper seating. And, uh, you know, you have to, there's things you have to focus on beyond just washers and dryers. If people are waiting on a bottleneck or a, a dryer, then they're delayed. If they're waiting on a folding table, they're delayed. If they're folding out of the cart, they're delayed. Because that's not how this should be done. Mm-hmm. But that's what happens in a lot of laundromats uh, because they put too much equipment in there. You know, I've actually walked in laundromats that have had thirty or forty dryers and had four folding tables, Jeez. and I'm just like, "This is basic math. Like, this is basic <laughs> addition and subtraction. Like, it's insane." Yeah. uh but it's common. Like, it's not even the. No- it's not even out of the norm. It's so common. Yeah, and and I think a lot of distributors, very well intending distributors. You know, their, their mindset is if you put more equipment in then your pro forma goes, it, it, if, you, if you're doing a pro forma four or five turns a day, and you say, well, you know, what we could do is put six more double loaders on the back wall. Well, they don't lower it to three turns a day on the pro forma. Yeah. <laughs> they leave it at four or five and all of a sudden decide it's going to be more revenue. Well, on paper, that may sound really good, but in real life, that's well, not how oh, it usually works. The capacity is the capacity. Yeah. And so that's what I really focus on as I've evolved in this industry. And if you walk into some of my stores, that's not what you'll see, <laughs> because that's not what I did nine years ago. Yep. Um, but I really believe that that's that's a that's a big part of, of our success. I mean, our new store is going to have eight foot aisles. Um, you know, my my thing is if somebody is standing at a folding table on one side of the aisle and they're loading a washer on the other the adjacent side of the aisle, somebody should still be able to walk through there with a cart and not bump each other. Yeah, well, that's proper throughput. That's how you get four, five, or if you talk to these large operators in urban environments, these people are doing eight, nine, ten turns a day. Yeah. A lot of times, that's how they're doing it. A lot of times, it is just a pure numbers game, and they're they're not built right, and people are bumping into each other. Right. Uh, but I, I really believe that when you talk about modernizing the wonderbat mat industry, those type of things are every bit as important as technology, operations, all the other aspects. And a lot of times you can't do anything with that. If you take over a retrofit, I mean, it's really expensive to change the floor plan. Yeah, It's you know, really expensive. And a lot of times it's just not economical. Um, but when people are building new laundromats, and I, I see some of the like, I've seen laundromats that were just built two years ago. They spent two and a half million dollars on this place. There's like a hundred washers and dryers in there, and like six folding tables, and like two benches to sit on. First come, first come, Everybody else stand. Like. It's crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. It's like yeah. Yeah. I always tell my distributor, I'm like, they were 90 of the way there. Like they were so close, so close. <laughs> and they just struck out. You know, yeah. so I don't know. I'm pretty passionate about that because it's kind of been a sort of an aha moment for me over the last probably four years. That I, you know, I'm always kind of pushing the envelope to learn and be better. Like I said, tomorrow than I was today. Yeah. It's, Sometimes, you know, I'm I'm not a quick learner. Sometimes it takes me six years
1: (laughs) (laughs) for me too, man. Me too. So how many hours are you spending on your business a week on average?
2: Um, you know, uh, until, until about a year ago, um, I was spending, um, it varies. Um, if, if out of pure necessity, I would say six to eight hours a week. Total. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've, I've, One of the things I've also very intentionally done over 10 years is built my businesses so that operationally they don't need me. I've always, I call it the bus test. If Dave got hit by a bus today, would this thing collapse? Would everything I worked for for the last 10 years in sacrifice collapse? Yeah. Or would it thrive for my family that I've left behind? And whether they want to sell those assets or run those assets, that's a different conversation. But if they collapse, they can do neither. And so that's also a big part of my mindset is operationally, um, I've built my businesses so that they don't rely on me. And there is there is an investment in that. I mean, you, you have to invest more heavily in managers, which make more money, and store managers, and general managers, and driving supervisors, and third shift supervisors, and all these things that a lot of owners do themselves. Um, but I've been pretty intentional about that.
1: Yeah. Well... Knowing everything that I know about you now, after having talked to you for this long, uh, I am pretty convinced that if you got hit by a bus, that that bus would be totaled. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're taking the bus down, it's not taking you down. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe, I don't know.
2: But, uh, you know. So I, the reason I said the last year or so is in the last year, um, I, I've partnered with a technology company with our pickup and delivery business. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the happiness model is kind of transitioning across the country. And now what I'm doing is spending most of my time mentoring and consulting for happiness. And they're bringing operators on our platform. Uh, they're utilizing their technology, their infrastructure, their digital marketing and customer service. Uh-huh. And what they're doing is they have hired me as a consultant to basically train and mentor all of their operators. Uh-huh. And so literally, literally just yesterday, I had someone fly in from Florida. And train with me and my team for two days, and then I'll mentor them on an ongoing basis on a long-term relationship. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, the owner of Happiness, the national brand. I'm owner of Happiness in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So I'm an operator, um, but I've had a, an op- I've had a relationship with them for three or four years, and they've seen that I'm one of their top operators. And I also do a lot of consulting. I have a heart that I enjoy helping people, and so they approached me, and they were like, "We don't have time to support these operators at the level that." They need to be supported if we're going to grow this into something and capture... You know, the laundry pickup and delivery business is quickly evolving into its own industry. Mm-hmm. The laundromat industry you know, generates, say, six or $8 billion a year in gross revenue. And a lot of people think in the, in the not-so-distant future that laundry pickup and delivery will exceed that yeah. as its own industry. And so there's more than one company that's you know, trying to capture that. And there will be plenty of room for multiple competitors. Um, but you know, we believe that happiness will be one of those national competitors, and a big part of that is is finding the right operators in the right markets, and and mentoring them, and training them, and supporting them at a high level. Mm-hmm. Uh, just shoot me an email; I'll try to get back to you. They can call me pretty much twenty four hours a day, and I'm available. And so, you know, I I was pretty sensitive about I don't need a job. My, you know, my wife always jokes the word J-O-B is a four-letter word to me. Uh, <laughs> so we, when we worked out this relationship, I was like, let me be clear. I don't need a job. I'm not an employee. I'm a consultant. But I do have the skill set and the time and the passion to take the things that I've learned in laundry pickup and delivery mm-hmm. and teach others all over the country how to do this. And they've built a business model that allows that to happen. And I'm just a, a small part of that. Um, but I'm essentially the operations, the mentor side of um, and so the, to answer your question, that's what I spend a lot of my time doing nowadays, because it's, I mean, this model just kind of came out nine or 10 months ago and we've already got 25, 30 operators on the platform. So I've been busy, <laughs> yes. but, I, but I, re- I really, really enjoy it. I do. I, I enjoy helping others. And so it was a perfect fit for me. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And then, and then I do a lot on vision and marketing, you know, our, our new store wouldn't happen, um, if I wasn't busy doing all kinds of work for a year or two before we actually, you know, opened it (laughs) and you know, you know what's required in that too. So there's a lot of work that happens before the work starts. That's right. Uh, I know exactly. Yeah. So that's, those are, you know, the big part of building my business the way I did was for, like I said, to leave for my family, the bus test, all those things, but obviously I'm not planning on dying tomorrow. And so a big part of that too is as long as I am around, you know, I can, I'm freed up to do the things that will take our business to the next level. It kind of goes back to being happy but not content. You know, I'm not I have no intention of just sitting back and writing what I've created for the next 30 years until I die someday. I have every intention of continuing to push the envelope. And if I can give back to the industry in any way, then I want to do that. If I can consult or mentor people, I want to do that. If I can literally grow from four to five to ten laundromats or grow my pickup and delivery business into new markets or whatever, then I want to do that. And I don't believe I'm here to just sit around and watch TV. You know, I like watching football and things like that. But at the same time, like I'm I'm here to make a difference. And I believe that God's put me in the place I'm in right now for a reason. And I have every intention of, of, of pursuing that with everything that I have in me. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't believe it's for the money. I don't know. I don't know the bigger purpose. A lot of times, I just know that this is where I am. This is the knowledge, the expertise, the opportunity that I have. And so, I want to find ways to give back. Of course, I'm limited by time. So, I can't just like be on the phone with people for like 30 hours a day. Um, so, I, I have some capacity issues there. And that's why I started like charging for consulting, where I did consulting for years for free, just because I enjoyed helping people. And I would sit on the phone for hours and hours with people. And I didn't want anything from them other than just if I can help you by doing what we're doing, then I'm happy to do it. And then I realized, like, wow, this is becoming like really overwhelming because, uh, the free consulting, that's a booming business. <laughs> you <Yeah, laughs> <we're laughs> <gonna pay> for, <laughs> I, Right. Yeah. And I know, I know you do a lot of consulting too. Um, and so, you know, I had to, I was like, well, I, I don't need the money, but I have to somehow like justify my time yeah. because I only have so much time in the day and I was just getting calls and emails like crazy. And it was very overwhelming. And I was like, okay, the only way I know to like separate the, the, the people that are serious from the people that maybe aren't quite as serious is to start charging you know a fair wage for my service and exactly that's exactly what has happened and so i didn't necessarily do it for the money um but
1: that's kind of how we've evolved once again (laughs) hey i love i love that keep keep evolving keep stacking all those skills and talents and yeah where it takes you well hey this is the part where we like to call it our secret sauce listen up it's
2: the secret sauce
1: Feel like you've given us so much already. Um, if you had to narrow it down to the one thing that you see working in your business that you think other laundromat owners can implement uh, today, or you know, in the near future, what would that? What would that one thing be? Oh my goodness! There's there's a bunch of things I could throw out for that one. Um, if I had to,
2: if I had to say one thing, I would just say value. Um, and and there's that's a that's a broad that's a broad term, but you know I, I would also use words like genuinely caring, being passionate, mm-hmm. wanting to serve your community, uh, mm-hmm. wanting to be better tomorrow than you were today, pushing the envelope. All those things fall under that same category of value. But that's ultimately really what's been a big market differentiator for me and my team and my businesses. And one of the things I try to teach other laundromat owners is like, if you're going to do this, you've you got to do it. Like, you've got to go 150 miles an hour. And you've to be passionate. You have to care. It has to be sincere. You can't fake it because people aren't stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll figure it out that you have an ulterior motive or you're just trying to sell them this or whatever. Um, and that goes down to other laundromat owners. If you're mentoring or consulting, it also applies to the self-serve customer that walks in the door. If they know you're just after your four bucks, it's like they're going to see right through you. And they may or may not use you otherwise. But the reality is, when they see that you care and that you're, you built a team of people that genuinely care, and like when you fill something instead of rolling their eyes and, and huffing off to get them up, that they're like, don't worry about it, you know, here and then they'll give little Johnny a sucker to distract him so mom can do their holding or whatever. Like all those little things, helping people carry their laundry in, helping them carry their laundry out because they've been doing laundry for four hours and they're exhausted, you know, giving them a free bottle of water for no reason absolutely no reason you know i'll go to my store i'll be collecting my vending and you know a little kid looking over my shoulder at the snickers and i'll be like is it okay if he has a Reese cup and we'll just hand it to him and the kid thinks i'm a millionaire he's like yeah. <laughs> he gave this to me for free um, you know but little things like that they go a long ways but they 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 don't go near as far if they're not genuine yeah and so that's that's really you know that's my secret sauce but it's it's very genuine, <laughs> so I mean, it is a secret sauce in that sense. But it's really all about value, whether it's whether it's you know the happiness pickup and delivery, or it's my drop-off services, or my self-serve stores, or for that matter, if I'm ever either a, ever a commercial you know property owner and leasing space to other people, <clears throat> they, they care, they know that I care about their business in the way that I take care of my property yeah. because I have some property owners that don't care. It's very obvious. Um, and, and we don't have as good of a relationship and I have a property owner that does care, genuinely cares about my business being successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so those things
1: go a long way no matter what industry you're in. I really believe that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why you've reached the level of success you have so far. And that's why, you know, I'm pretty confident you're going to, you know, fly to far higher heights, uh, going so, Yeah. Thank I think you. That's, that's an awesome answer. Thank you. Um, so here's a little section we like to call pro tips. Pro tips, specifically for people who, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who are interested in the laundromat industry, who who aren't in it yet. Um, what what is a one tip that you would give to a, a prospective or a new laundromat owner, somebody who's looking to get into the industry? What's a, what's one tip you give them, kind of going into it? Oh my goodness. You mean from like a design standpoint or like an operation? No, no just I, I, so let's say I'm, I'm brand new and I'm looking to get in the, buy a laundromat. I want to buy a laundromat. What, what's one thing that I need to know uh, going into it?
2: I think there's really three things I would tell that person and probably have told people. Uh, one of them is the beauty of being an entrepreneur and a business owner is you get to decide what your business is mm-hmm. and what it isn't. No one can decide that for you, and that's that freedom of being able to make those decisions based on what's important to you um, is pretty powerful. And so, so take that seriously. Um, another one that I would say is that networking is really important. Um, get to know other people in the in the industry. Um, there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of expertise out there, and there's a lot of people willing to help you on a lot of different levels based on how you know how much time they have available, and um, they, if, you, if you do those things, one of the things you're going to learn in the process of networking is that there's more than one way to skin a cat in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, It may sound like I have a negative association with an unattended laundromat. I do not. I know phenomenal laundromat owners that run very, very well-run, um, very well-unattended uh, uh, laundromats. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what I was. That's what I wanted to do at one point. And then the last thing I would tell them is don't be afraid to pivot. Because as you gain knowledge, as you gain expertise, like you're going to wake up one day and be like, a week ago, I was a, a newbie, but now like people are calling me a veteran. How did that happen? Yeah. Like, what, 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 because that happened to me. And I was like, whoa, did you just call me a veteran? Like, did you just call me experienced? Like, yeah. I still, I, you know, six years went by and I, you know, I still don't consider 10 years. I don't consider myself a veteran, but a lot of people do. And I guess compared to the guy that just bought a laundromat last week, I am. Yep. Um, and so, those are, you know, there's a lot that goes into those even, but those are the three things I would really tell them. Um, I think maybe the fourth one I'll throw in there is to have a master plan, but going back to that pivoting, don't be afraid to pivot. Don't be afraid to change that master plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really believe that if you don't have a vision of where you're trying to go, you'll never get there. I really truly believe that. And so, it's okay to have a very defined vision of where you're going and then gain new information into the context and change that vision, that's okay. That's fine. You don't have to follow that for 40 years, but you still need to have a vision today. And that vision can change tomorrow. And if you if you use all those things in kind of a big picture environment, then you'll methodically make decisions based on all of those things without even really thinking about it. Does that make sense?
1: It makes perfect sense.
2: Yeah. That's, and that's cool. and that's a lot of what I've done and I've learned a lot of that all the way along the way. Yeah. You know, for five years I didn't do a lot of the things we're talking about now. Yeah, and the last five years I've done a lot more of those things, and it goes back to why things like networking are important. Spending time at Clean Show and Excellence in Laundry, and joining the CLA, and being on Facebook groups, and there's you know getting the industry magazines and 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 white papers and and all these different things. Like there's so much. There's so much information and so much value out there, and part of why I'm really passionate about our industry is because, like I said, I've stolen everything I know and have from someone in some way. Yeah. You know, maybe a tweak here and a tweak here, and I made my own, melted my own model out of that. Um, but like nothing I've done, have I created out of thin air? Yeah. Um, and so when you when you learn it, when you begin to understand your success is based on those things, then you really it, it should humble you to the point of where you you don't think you're spectacular. Yes, you're confident in your team. You know what you do is very good. Maybe even you know that it's at the top of the industry. But you also know that you're not special. This is a collaboration of all the things I've been talking about for the last hour. Mm -hmm. And so once again, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just how my brain works. Like My brain never stops. I'm just like always digging and pivoting and focusing and sometimes that causes me to do really stupid things. <laughs> well, I won't lie. Uh, sometimes I do things and I'm like, what was I thinking? Uh, <laughs> but, you, but I really believe that you can learn from that too. You, know, you can learn from your mistakes and your failures probably more so than you can learn from your successes. Yeah. Um, well, those, are, those are a lot of the key things that I tell people are the, a direct correlation of my success and so I believe that they would be, would be a key to their success However, they, they meld that together for them.
1: Yeah, oh, man, that's gold. That's seriously gold. Um, Thank, you. Thank you. One other question before we uh, wrap this up is um, speaking of everything that you've been saying you've stolen, uh, what's a, do you have a good resource that you'd recommend to uh, other laundromat owners or prospective laundromat owners just to help them develop maybe even just some of the mindset that you have? And yeah. I'm sure there's a ton, but you got one or two. Oh, well, one thing I'll add on to that, and I hope I don't ramble too much, is as much information
2: and knowledge as there is in the industry, and there's a lot, you should tap into that. Mm-hmm. There's just as much outside of the industry mm-hmm. because I'm an entrepreneurial nerd. And what I mean by that is I love the process. It's not about the product, it's about the process, it's about the people. And I really, truly believe that. And so you can learn, you know, I have many friends that are in businesses. Um, you know, that some on franchises and some have built franchises and some done different things. And I learned tons from them just by having lunch from them. Oh. Their business has nothing to do with my business, but some of the things I just told you I most likely stole from them.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, so there's
1: a you know, there's a big part of that too that's that's really set pretty deep in me. Well, Dave, uh, this has been Uh, I think epic is a good word to describe. It's been really, really cool getting to talk to you and hear about your story and all uh, your your whole journey um, that's taking you to this point. And, you know, we're going to have to have you back at some point to hear about this fifth store and to hear what direction you're heading there, because we know you're going to pivot, you know, quite a few times. (laughs) Now
2: and then, yeah. Who knows, who knows where I'll be? I may have a Dairy Queen inside of my water bath. You know, who knows? Yeah,
1: yeah, who knows? <laughs>
2: who knows? Um, I appreciate I appreciate you having me on. It's been great, you know, talking to you and getting to know you. I know we're being recorded and everything, but at the same time, this is a big part of my success is doing what you and I are doing right now. Yeah. And just just networking, meeting each other, getting to know each other. It's cool that we have the technology available for you to be in California and me to be in Cincinnati and to do this like so easily. Okay. Oh, cool. um, and so there's, a, you know, that, that's fantastic. And I, I you know, I, I hope someday that we meet many times face to face, you know, over the course of this, but it's been really cool getting to know you and kind of hearing your story too. So yeah. I appreciate you having me on.
1: Thank you. And before I let you go, uh, why don't you tell people how they can get in contact with you? Um, you know, best ways they can get a, a hold of you. Maybe they want your consulting or they want to just, you know, connect with you and network.
2: Yeah, um, they they can reach out to me in a lot of different ways. I have a couple email addresses, dmenz at happiness.com, which is just D for Dave. And then my last name, M-E-N-Z, or Dave at Laundry Magician um, is my consulting email address. And so they can send it there as well. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to do it on a podcast, but my cell phone number is 513-607-1511. And if I get overwhelmed, forgive me, but I do, I do plan to get back to people. They can text me, they can call me, and, and we can chat and talk and I'll see if I can help them. I don't plan to be an expert in every area of the industry, um, but the things that we've encountered and learned from, we feel like we're, we have a pretty good grasp on things. But uh, the last thing I'll tell people is like, I'm always doing local events or the excellence in laundry or the clean show and different things like that. And so obviously you have my face, it, it, and and so you may see me there and i have no idea who you are and so like i love meeting people and getting to knowing getting to know people so um if people see this this interview and they you know see me at one of these events like just come up and shake my hand and introduce yourself cuz like I, I can't have i can't have too many friends is kind of the way i look at it so i like meeting new people and getting to know people and and uh if i can help them that's fantastic too so
1: Awesome. And I'll have that information down uh, in the show notes. So make sure you check that out and get in contact with Dave. Uh, He will be an awesome resource and sounds like just a cool guy. So um, get to know Dave, uh, shoot him uh, an email or give him a call on a cell phone. Uh, Yep, absolutely. That would be awesome. All right, Dave. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, man, I can't wait. Hopefully we'll get to um, meet up here soon. I'm sure at like a clean show or something. Yeah, Uh, that'd be fantastic but hopefully before that we'll, we'll get together. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks again for having me. Appreciate
3: it. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Wow. I mean, just, just wow. If you're, if you're still here, I don't know how you couldn't be, uh, just soaking all that up from Dave. Uh, but if you're still here, then Hey, congratulations to you. You made it through, this is a long episode, but packed, jam packed full of great practical tips, but probably even more so, uh, Just mindset tips. And, you know, one of the big things that I pulled away from this episode is just that keyword that kept coming up over and over, which was value. You know, Dave is all about value and bringing value to customers. And sometimes I think it can get easy, at least for me, maybe you feel this way too. You know, the laundromat. Industry can be uh, kind of a relatively hands off business. It doesn't require your full attention um, all week long necessarily. And so I can lose sight of, you know, how am I bringing value to my customers? And, you know, Dave is just hyper focused on that. And that's what he's built his business on. And it has served him well. And so I'm, I mean, I'm definitely bringing that. Uh, away from this episode and from talking with Dave and getting to know him just as a person. And I hope you're bringing something like that away too. I'm positive that everyone listening to this brought something valuable away from it. So thank you again for listening to the Laundromat Resource Podcast. This is Jordan on show number two. We'll see you next week. Signing off.